This morning, friends, we continue our studies in the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Church of God in the city of Corinth in the first century. This is one of the Apostle's most personal letters, and yet I am persuaded that there are many practical applications for the Lord's people at the present time. Uh, The letter was written primarily as a defense against the false teachers and those who were criticizing the Apostle Paul's apostolic authority and his preaching of the Christ. Uh, In our last study, we were in the earlier verses of this chapter, chapter 4, and we noted there, amongst other things, Uh, The mighty power of the enemy of souls, the God of this world, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. But we also notice the almighty power of God. Verse 6, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This morning, as we meditate on these precious words, we're thinking about visible and invisible realities. And I'd like to, first of all, read verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Notice that very deep contrast there between the things that are seen, the things that are not seen, the visible and the invisible. First point this morning really is the paradox of divine power, the paradox of divine power. And we see that particularly in verse 7. If you'd like to glance back please to verse 7, the Apostle Paul is writing of himself and of his co-laborers. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. A better uh, translation there, I think, would be jars of clay. The Apostle Paul is thinking of his own time and in a city such as Corinth, and there will be many of these jars of clay seen. And they were fragile and they were weak. And the Apostle Paul is saying that we have this treasure in these these jars of clay, as it were. But what is this treasure? Well, we read at verse 1 of our chapter. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, it is the gospel ministry. Also down to verse 6 in chapter 3 in the previous chapter. Paul writes, who also have made us able ministers of the New Testament, or the new covenant. So this is the treasure that the Apostle Paul has experienced personally, that power of God at work in his light, that power that has shone into his heart, and from being an unbeliever, he has now become a believer, and indeed he's become an ambassador for Christ. And so he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. And of course, this applies to each one of us, friends, because we tend to be quite weak and fragile, at least spiritually. And yet we are also proclaiming the glorious gospel of Christ by our lips and by our life. We are ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And let's just take one example to demonstrate our apparent weakness. Let's think of a a small group of Christian people and they are meeting together in a room and why are they meeting? Their only purpose is to pray. It's a prayer meeting. And the onlooking world would look at that group of people and say how weak they are. All they can do is pray. And yet, as we know, friends, prayer is so valuable and potentially powerful. And we know that prayer is a great resource for the believing Christian. So we're speaking here about this treasure in jars of clay, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Some versions express it, the all-surpassing power of God, or the literally the extraordinary quality of power is at work in us. The Apostle Paul was saying something very similar again back in chapter 3, verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. This is the overriding theme of this New Testament letter. The insufficiency of man and the all-sufficiency of God. And we see here that this power, this power is that same power that we read of in verse 6, for God who commanded the light to shine, the creative power. This is the same power when God was at work at that mighty deliverance of his church Israel from Egypt. This is the same power that on the third day raised Christ from the dead. So we're speaking here about the, this extraordinary quality of the power of God that is at work in us. And yet, life is not straightforward for the apostle. For we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. We are troubled on every side. In a different version, that word means crushed. It's thinking about the process of crushing grapes. Or it's thinking about narrowing things down, bringing things into a narrow place. We are distressed on every side, and yet we are not distressed. Troubled on every side, but not distressed. We are perplexed. Have you ever been perplexed? Have you ever been perplexed about your circumstance? Are you perplexed at this moment about what's happening in the world and in our society? And yet the apostle can say that he was not thoroughly perplexed. He was not over perplexed. He was not in despair because that word means that he was aware of divine help and divine aid through the power of God, as we've already referred to that. He was persecuted, and we know this from his other letters. We know that uh, he was, as it were, chased like a fugitive, running for his life. And yet, up until this moment, he always escaped. And so he was persecuted, but not forsaken of God. He was cast down. The picture there is of a wrestler 
and two men are wrestling, they're fighting each other, and one of them is cast down onto the floor. And so this wrestler is cast down, but not destroyed. Somebody has said, and I quote someone here, sometimes God allows us to experience a knockdown blow, but we're never finally knocked out. Hope that's your experience. So we see something here of the paradox of divine power. Secondly, we come to the passion of Christian living. Verse 10 and following. Paul writes, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Verse 11. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. Always carrying about the dying of the Lord Jesus. Because, of course, we are seeking to represent Christ. And Christ was a saviour. Christ died upon a cross for sinners. And we are representing him. Of course, our dying is unlike his dying. Only he could die for sinners and make that true atonement. But nevertheless, we are seeking to die each day in terms of sin, in terms of dying to this world. And of course, the Apostle Paul, in his experience, was always keenly aware that he was so close to death because of his persecutions, because of his being uh, the people who were hostile toward him and the opposition toward him. And indeed, he had some, as it were, near-death experiences, did he not? And he's carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. And he's developing that point just a little at verse 11, for which we live, for which we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So we see there, there is just a slight difference. In verse 10 at the end, he refers to his body. In verse 11, to mortal flesh. I take this to mean that his body is his body, and this is the fact that people know him, and they see him as he walks around, and they see his witness, they see his life, and his ministry, and his, the power of God at work within him. They see his witness, they hear his words, they see his actions, they note his lifestyle. But when he says that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh, I think he's thinking there of, the, of mortality, of course, that this life has its limitations, that the character of this life is this life is characterized by sin and that means that there is always going to be illness and sickness and disease and decay and finally death verse 12 so then death worketh in us writes paul but life in you because of paul's witness very powerful witness because of his preparedness to daily die to self and to sin, because of his level of self-sacrifice on behalf of the Corinthians, 
then he can say that death worketh in me, but life in you. Because in you, there is new life, spiritual life, and eternal life. And then we come on to the following verses, at verse 13 and following, about resurrection. The theme is of resurrection, and really asking the question, what was it that caused the apostle not to just sink in utter despair? Well, there are three things that are coming before us here. First of all, there is faith. Secondly, there is hope. And thirdly, there is the glory of God. Verse 13. For we, having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. That's a quotation from our psalm this morning, Psalm 116 at verse 10, one of the Hallel Psalms. Uh, it's not ascribed to him in my Bible, but many people feel persuaded it is yet another psalm of David. And so we have the same faith, of, we have the same spirit of faith. Now, of course, faith is a lovely gift of God. We only have faith because God has given us the ability to have faith, to exercise faith in our lives. We are called to live by faith and not by sight. So it is a gift of God is faith. Saving faith is a gift of God. Sanctifying faith is a gift of God. And we can see there are parallels in terms of the experience of David of old and the Apostle Paul. Because David writes in that psalm of how he was afflicted and how he on occasion was persecuted. And so we read here that he exercised faith in God, did David. And so does the Apostle Paul. Knowing this, uh, we have the same spirit of faith. According as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. And so, friends, this morning, you and I have been given the gift of faith to believe. To believe in God as the creator, to believe in Christ as our redeemer, to believe in the Holy Spirit of God as our sanctifier and advocate and comforter and as our guide, to believe in heaven and in hell. And so, do we say, I have believed And therefore have I spoken, because it is surely out of our hearts of belief that we speak, that we speak not of a theory, that we speak out of personal daily experience of walking with God and following after Christ as our Lord. So that's the first point to make there, and that is faith. Point number two Verse 14, know that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up also us by Jesus and shall present us with you. Of course, resurrection was a key doctrine in the life of the early church. If you read through the book of the Acts, for example, you will notice on many occasions how Paul and Peter and others who are preaching, uh, foremost they speak of Christ crucified, 
but they also wish to underline now the resurrection of our dear Lord Jesus Christ. And also, of course, Paul is anticipating and waiting for the second coming. And there's been much debate about this. Did the apostle feel convinced that Christ would return in his own lifetime or not? We do not know. But now we continue to be living in the church age, the gospel age, and we are still anticipating the second coming of Christ in these days. And so we're looking forward to that day when we shall experience the resurrection of the body, when the body and the soul will be reunited once again. Verse 15, for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might be, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. What are these all things? Well, I suggest they are the things we've been considering earlier in this passage. We've been considering the apostles' self-sacrifice and the level of that sacrifice on behalf of others. And so we too today are called to be self-sacrificial in our lives. And as we read in the letter to the Philippians, to uh, consider the interests of others before the interests of ourself. And so for all, all these things are for your sakes. We are dying daily to the Lord. We're living as we do live. I'm preaching in the way that I preach, says Paul, because this is for your sakes. This is that you would grow in grace and in knowledge of Christ and come to know him further. And finally, this third point, faith, hope there in verse 14 and verse 15, the glory of God. Because Paul is praying that as an increasing number of people are saved and who are brought into the kingdom of Christ, there will be great thanksgiving because each one of those souls will be so grateful to the Lord for that mighty work in their experience. And all this will overflow and will redound to the glory of God. And then we move on finally to these concluding verses in this chapter. And here we see more particularly these visible and invisible realities. So we read at verse 16. For which cause we faint not, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish. So our outward man perishes. We know something about this. You've probably heard this illustration before, but I use it again uh, because I can't think of a better one. Uh, it reminds me of an old-fashioned cottage in a lovely village, a thatched cottage. And so as we look at that cottage, and as we look at our bodies, we notice that we're losing the thatch, that our windows are cloudy, that the stairs begin to creak. So we read here, for which cause we faint not, we could say there we do not lose heart. It's the same word as Paul used at the end of the first verse of this chapter. We do not lose heart, though our outward man perish. Verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for 
a moment, our light affliction. The Apostle Paul, I think, is not seeking to minimize his sufferings and persecutions or to minimize the Lord's people's sufferings and persecutions and troubles and hardships. But he, is, he was a very realistic character as Paul, and he is describing his many troubles and afflictions as light. For our light affliction and is also speaking of the extent of this affliction, and it is but for a moment. Verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Well, we look at many things which are seen. Of course we do in our everyday life. We look at other people. We look at motor cars passing by on the road. We look at uh, trees and flowers. We look at the the stars and the moon. We look at the sun and, and much more besides. We look at these things. We need to give proper attention to our homes and our various responsibilities and duties. We need to look to these things, our employments. So it's quite legitimate that we look at the things which are seen. But the things which are seen, they're only temporal or temporary, passing or fleeting. So verse 16 again, for which cause we faint not, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Just turning back to Paul's letter to the Ephesians and to turning forward, I should say, and to chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3. And we read there that lovely prayer of Paul for the Ephesians, which runs from verse 14 and following. I'll just read the first three verses. Paul prays, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. That was Paul's prayer, and that ought to be our prayer day by day. The inward man is being renewed or renovated. So you think about that lovely uh, traditional country cottage where it's, it's showing its years, as it were, because of the thatch and the windows and the stairs creaking, And it's been renovated. Perhaps it's up for sale. And the the owners wish to improve the property. And so they go in and they they decorate it. And they put new furnishings in and all the rest. For our light affliction, verse 17, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. When I was a little boy, um, I had a favorite grandma. I had two grandmas and I loved them both. But this particular grandma took much care of me. She was a Christian lady. And I used to visit her in her home. And one of the joys of visiting grandma was she allowed me to play with her kitchen scales. You know, those old-fashioned weighing scales with the weights on. And I used to play about with these and try to make things balance. This is a picture that's here before us of a, of a weigh scale. Because on one side is our, are our light afflictions... And on the other side is this far more exceeding 
and eternal weight of glory. You see, this is God's perspective on our lives. When we're faced with trouble or difficulties or trials in life and other things that come into our lives, they can seem heavy and difficult to cope with. But in the light of eternity and in God's perspective, they are light afflictions and they are far, far outweighed by this eternal weight of glory. Verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The things which are not seen is, of course, the risen, ascended and exalted Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. The things which are not seen, heaven and hell, eternal realities. For the things which are not seen are eternal. A final little illustration, again when I was a little, slightly older boy, going to school and waiting at a bus stop, and it was in the winter months, and one morning I stood at this bus stop with other children, and it was a dense fog descended, and there was a main road in front of us, and you could not see through the fog to the other side of the road. And yet I was persuaded that at the other side of the road there would be pedestrians on the pavement walking to and fro and that there were houses in fact there was a parade of shops you see I was persuaded of those things which were not seen I could not see them through that dense fog but I was aware of their reality visible and invisible realities have been before us this morning friends and we've been thinking about the divine paradox, the power of God unto Paul and unto all the Lord's people. We've been thinking also about the passion of Christian living as day by day we seek to die uh, to this world and, and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've also been thinking about that wonderful prospect of eternal glory. Amen.